0: of this incredible family of believers all over the planet you know when you're growing up in darkness you don't see that you know i'm going to share a little bit of my story so you see you know satan is a very real foe and i know many of you maybe saw him before you saw christ and that's true of many of us jesus said the devil comes to steal to kill and to destroy and we got to give him credit he's done a good job at what he's done the evil work that he's done he's very crafty at what he does but most times when we're growing up we don't we don't know him we don't know how to fight against him. We don't know how to deal with the lies and the, and the distortions that we experience from childhood up. And I personally believe the devil wants to harm a child as soon as he can, to mark that child and make it in retreat, make it defensive so it can not experience love and the good things that God has planned for us. And Jesus warned us very clearly that there is a dragon, there is a serpent, there is an evil entity on the planet. And we look around at our culture today and it's gotten darker and darker, hasn't it? You know, I grew up in Toronto. I was born in 1960. My mom and dad were just kids having kids. Um, My mom was turned 16 on February 7th. I was born on March the 14th, just five weeks after she turned 16. My dad was 17. So just kids having kids. They were partying and drinking and weren't ready to give up that life. And two years uh, later, my sister was born. And on my second birthday, my father was uh, sentenced to five years in penitentiary. He was trying to party and live that lifestyle and provide for a family into committing five-arm robberies in downtown Toronto. And he was only 19 when he was sentenced to his first five years. A couple of years into that sentence, um, my, father sent, my mother had met somebody while he was in prison. She was still young, still partying, and she met somebody in the absence of my father. He heard about it, so he sent somebody out on a pass from prison, knocking on her door, and said, Maggie, Cliff told me to come and tell you to get rid of the guy you're with or else. And that, or else, terrified my mother. She fled the country. She went down to uh, California at the time. That was in 1964 and never came back. She was that frightened of him. When he wasn't drinking, he was the greatest guy on the planet. You guys know people like that. Maybe you've been people like that. You know, but that's what she saw, and so she fled. And <clears throat> So I was left behind at the age of four, lost both my father and my mother. I grew up in my grandparents' home, and it was a very alcoholic family, a lot of uh, dope and drinking and criminal activity. And so I saw darkness, and I saw loneliness, and I didn't really feel accepted. My grandparents took me in out of necessity, but I didn't really feel loved. You know, all through my life, I remember searching and wondering, why am I here? That was my biggest question as a kid, why am I here? You know, I just had no idea. I'd stop in the middle of, you know, going to school and just feeling dark and lonely, and I just, why am I here? Like, what's the purpose? You know, I just couldn't seem to find the way. The only little bit of exposure I had to Christianity in any way was my grandfather was a, an alcoholic, and some nights when he was drinking, he would talk about Jesus and the disciples. Other nights he would be very abusive and angry and, and, and evil. And so I didn't want his God. Whatever his God represented, I, did, I wasn't attracted to it at all. How we live our life really does affect our children and our grandchildren. It really does. And if we don't role model them with something positive, they turn away from the faith. And if they don't see Jesus in what we're saying... They're going to see hypocrisy, and they're going to be angry and frustrated with the church, and we're living in a generation where we see that. As I got a little older and began to visit my uh, dad in prison, I remember going to visit my dad, and I loved my dad. I'd only see him when he was straight, and I'd go up and visit him, and he'd give me a big hug and tell me how much he loved me, and I just really thought he was the greatest man on the planet. You know, I respected him greatly, I, I missed him, and I would hitchhike up to see him in Kingston, and before long, you know, he'd ask me to, you know, bring him in a little bit of liquor, it would help him, and... How many remember the days of uh, bell-bottoms? I'll tell you how old you are, how many remember those days? <laughs> you know roughly how old you are. And uh, anyway, I'd bell-bottom and cowboy boots and I'd stick a mickey of liquor down my boots. I was 14, 15, nobody suspected it. And I'd bring it into him and he drank and then it was two mickeys of liquor and I was learning in my heart how to beat the system and I don't think he realized he was training me in that. And then before long it was you bring me in some Valium and some ash and acid and different drugs and I was smuggling large amounts of drugs at the age of 15, 16. Into the prisons in Kingston, Ontario. And it was hardening my heart. I was learning to be calculating. I was learning how to deceive. I was learning how to lie and cheat the system. And finally, my dad, or finally, it was around the age of 15, I believe it was, or 14. I was about 14. And I had an uncle. My father had four brothers that I grew up with and called them brothers, you know. They were a lot older than I was. And one day, in all the darkness of our family, Dave came home and said he'd been born again. And I had no idea what born again meant. All I knew, he was, was going to church, and he was the very first one. And if you're the first one, you know what it's like. He got razzed by the rest of us a lot. We'd laugh at him and make jokes about him. And but I had the notice in Dave, of all the four brothers, he became the most joyful, peaceful. And I look at Dave, and I look at the others, and God was building a contrast into my spirit at that time that would save my life later on. And I look at Dave, and finally, you know, Dave would pick up my grandfather on Sundays. They'd go off and come back all dressed up and happy, and and I say, Dave, like, where do you go on Sunday mornings? And he says, well, I go to a little church up the road. And I just, out of curiosity, said, well, do you mind if I go with you? And, well, sure, Cal. I didn't know anything about prayer. People were praying. He was praying. And so God was already answering prayer. And I remember going. And the pastor, he would get up and open up his Bible. Remember, I'm in darkness and I'm in loneliness. And he'd open up his Bible and he'd begin to talk about the gospel and about scriptures. And I could literally see a light a glow that came out of his spirit. And I was so fascinated by that light. Because when you're in darkness, you see it. How many of you remember that? you got somebody in your life that you know was walking with Jesus. How many have that legacy in your family history? Somebody that you know just exemplified that light. Well, I saw it. And that light fascinated me from the time I was a child. The pastor had it. My Uncle Dave had it. Not everybody in that church had it. and so, But I knew there were some people that had something that they carried that was different. I just didn't know how to get it. You know, I went there for about a year and a half. Finally, my, um, around that time, my mother had contacted me after 11 years in California, called me up, asked me if I'd come and live with her. And so I decided I would go. And I left everything in Canada. I think I was 15 or 16, went down to uh, uh, California for four months. She was a heavy drinker, drank every night, but worked. She was a working alcoholic. I was already drinking and in drugs at that time. And I was still spiraling, even though I was in California. My sister came down a few months later and asked me to come back with her I was all she had, Cal, please come back. And so I was torn. Here I was with my mother that wasn't there all my life. And then my sister, who I did live with all my life, came down and begged me to come back with her. So against my gut feeling, I really wanted to be there. I I went back. And I remember her looking at me on the way out. She was brokenhearted that I was making a choice to leave. And she says, you're going to be in prison just like your father. And I remember when she said that. Something inside just said, yes, that's right. By that time, I accepted it. You know, I accepted a, a prophecy in my life that would be self fulfilling. We need to be very careful what we speak into our children, what we speak into people around us, because we're like the authority figure in their life, and we tell them they're no good. We tell them they're not going to mount anything. That goes right into their spirit and helps form them into what they believe. And I began to know as a young boy I was going to end up in prison one day. Around the age of 17, 15, 16, or 17, my father began to get out. He'd done about 11 years at that time, 12 years. No, it was closer to 15 years. And um, he went in when I was two, and he was in uh, 33 years in total. And when he got out, that's when I saw the mess that he was. You know, he'd get drinking, and he was scary to be around. Always talking about, you know, shooting it out with the police. And at the age of seven, he actually did that. He was trying to get my mother back, he was going to go down to California to get her, plan one more robbery to get her back, and then it was going to stop. You know we think by doing one more thing we could make things right and he did and he ended up in a robbing a beer store in downtown Toronto as he was placed uh, chased by the police he there was shoot, shooting happened through the back window so we pulled over got out with his gun the police officer came up with his gun and he said don't shoot or I'll shoot and the other officer leaned over the hood and shot my dad in the shoulder and his, his gun went off and he shot the police officer in the stomach. that police officer as he was falling shot his partner getting out twice through the head and through the back. And then he pointed the gun at my father six feet away, right at his chest, and it was blank. His six shots had been used. Otherwise, my dad wouldn't have been been here. And then the other officer leaned over and point-shot him twice. at Point-blank range and missed, and he ran, and they finally arrested him. 28 more years on top of his first five. So in the prison system, you're doing five. You get 28 more. They just tack it right on top. So now he's doing 33 years. He's gone for another 10 years. And by the time he got out, we started drinking together and committing crime together, and finally um, he was afraid he was going back on his parole, and so we ended up taking that cab driver hostage to get out of town We commandeered his car, and there was a police chase. We were finally arrested, and I was put in the Don jail with my father, something they should have never done. We did six months together in the Don jail, and I hated it. I want to tell you, I hated prison, but when you're in darkness and that's all you know, you just don't know the way out. And I'd get out, I'm never going to do this again. God, if you get me out, I'll never go do this again. You know, i make these deals with God. I don't know how many of you have done that. You ever got into a really bad jam? And you say, God, if you just get me out of this, I'll never do this again. We know where to go when we're in desperate straits, don't we? You know, and I did it's twice. And twice he got me out. And I got out right back to doing what I was doing. Finally, at the age of 21, um, he went back for another nine years on top of his 33 years. So he went from 33 to 42 years on his sentence. And the paroles just kept getting bigger. And he was locked into a way of life that he couldn't escape. And yet he loved my mother and wanted to win her back. Spent his whole life chasing her. But doing it the wrong way, he lost her for all of his days. At the age of 21, I went out west to try to start over again. And uh, the problem is when we go somewhere else, we take ourselves with us. You ever notice that? You try to change geography. How many are not from Thunder Bay? You know, it's amazing how many people get transferred all over the place. We go places, we think things are going to be different. But the problem is, you're still there. You're with you when you get there. And so I get all the way out to Calgary, and I realize I'm the same mess as I was in Toronto. And I had been engaged to be married at one point, and I was just messing up that big time in that relationship because I didn't feel like I was enough. And I don't believe, unless we have the love of God, that we really feel we can be enough for any any relationship. And so I would sabotage the relationship. Ended up out west, ended up another robbery. I broke into a... A warehouse to get enough money to come back to Toronto. I wanted to come back and work it out with my, my, my fiancé. And when we went in, the uh, owner's son was in the office talking on the phone with his feet up on the desk. As soon as he walked in, he was looking right at us. We're looking at him, and we panicked. We took him, took his car again, so he was the second kidnapping I'm, in, I'm into. And we flee out of Calgary, and we're heading across Calgary, and we get just outside of Portage La Prairie, Winnipeg, and we get arrested. And I'm telling you, I was so thankful to get arrested because for the first time in my life, I didn't know what I was going to do with this guy. What if I got away? Where do I go? He's seen me. You know, all these thoughts are going through my mind that I never wanted to enter into. And I realized where I was going into this dark pit and I had no way to get out at this time. As soon as he picks me out of a mug book, I'm going away for a long time this time. And, and so when we got arrested, I was so relieved to be arrested. The police officer put us together in the back seat. And my partner looks at me and he says, Cal, what do we tell them? What's her story? And I just said, Dave, just, just tell him the way it happened. We're caught with the guy in the car. How are we going to say we didn't do it? You know, I just knew it was the end. It was the beginning of the end for me. And I'm thankful of where, where this end came to. Ended up in the Calgary jail pleading with God once again. God, get me out of here. I don't want to go to the penitentiary. You know, give me two years less a day and I'll serve you the rest of my life. And this time I got seven years and sent all the way down to Dorchester Penitentiary in New Brunswick. My father was in Millhaven. I was scheduled for maximum security, and they wouldn't put us together. So here I was 21, sent down to Dorchester, no family, no, no, nobody, and I spiraled into a deep, deep depression. And finally, after a year and a half in, I realized I'm not going anywhere. I'm doing my whole sentence here. It was a violent prison at that time, and I was very frightened. And finally I asked some, another inmate to stab me in the stomach, and I thought if I could make the administration think somebody was trying to kill me, that then they would transfer me out, and hopefully I'd get back to Ontario. And so I ended up in a lockup unit for the whole summer. I ended up four months in the summer of 82 in isolation because of what happened. The warden found out about it, locked us up, and I went into the deepest, darkest place in my life. And there was a Satanist in there trying to get me to become a Satanist. Here's how you give your life to the devil. And I thought, maybe, maybe that's where I belong. I don't fit in anywhere else. I didn't fit in in church. Or, well, maybe, maybe this is where I belong. And I remember him sending me down a ritual, and as I laid out this ritual in my cell, I was just, just this voice, this quiet, quiet voice. For the first time in my life, I heard, don't do it. And I yelled back up to this guy, and I said, I can't do it. Only him and I knew what we were talking about, two cell blocks of men. I just yelled back, I can't do it. And he's a Satanist, active Satanist. And he yells back, you believe, don't you? And before I could even think about what he meant by believe, I yelled back, yes, I do. And then I just stood there like trembling, like believe in what? I didn't even know what I believed in. And this guy provoked me into saying that I believed in something, and right away I knew it must be God. I wasn't talking about the devil. He's a Satanist, and his voice had said, "Don't do it." There was people praying for me, and there was somebody, an aunt, that was interceding right at that time for my life, and I didn't know it, until, until months later. And so this, this shook me really badly. And then I, I remember reading another guy was talking about the end of the world, and he was a militant killer in the prison, and he's talking about the Bible. And he's talking about the end of the end of days, how the world was going to end and people were going to be destroyed and the Antichrist figure would set himself up and I, I yelled at him. I said, Where how do you know all this information? And he said, Well it's in the Bible. I said, I went to church, I never heard anything like that. And, he, and so I remember the Gideons put Bibles on the top of the in, in the prisons itself. And so I had tucked it up on the top shelf and I reached up, I brought it down, and my first book was, was reading Revelation, the book of Revelation. Anyway, it was a spooky book. If you've never, if you're just starting, read the Gospel of John, okay? I read Revelation, and it, it, it scared me. I saw this spiritual reality, demons and evil and the end of the world and Satan being destroyed in a lake of fire. And I remember, whew, am I ever glad I didn't give my life to this being? Just weeks before, I, w- I was very close to giving my life to Satan and inviting him to take over my life. I didn't realize I was already following him, according to the Bible, but to actually do it with your will. And I remember just as I felt relieved, and then I said a few verses down, and every name that wasn't found written in the book of life was also cast into this lake of fire. And I'm like, what? I'm going to end up with this evil being anyway? It terrified me. I closed the Bible, and it was just a matter of weeks later. This fear of death was on me. I was suffering from that wound, and the wound had spread down into my groin area, and they wouldn't treat me because they thought I was using it as an escape attempt. And I think, what if I die here? And you know, we drove by the graveyard coming up to the front doors of Dorchester a year and a half before. And all I could picture was me just being dying and being placed in a, gr- in a grave outside of a prison. Is that the sum total of my life? Is that how my life ends? That's what I was thinking. Is this where it all ends? And a few weeks later, I look up at the TV. And I don't know how this happened, but I've never seen it happen before or since. It was like a screen like that. We had a cell block looking down at it, and, and, and we'd look up at it. There was a TV we could choose to put on the headphones and I remember looking at the TV this night in a real dark depressive place and I was close to ending it and the only thing that kept me from ending it was fear of this lake of fire if that was going to be my end it just didn't sound good (laughs) sounded worse than where I was and all of a sudden Billy Graham's on the TV well my grandparents used to watch Billy Graham and something in my spirit just said just what have you got to lose Look where you are. Look where your choices have brought you. Just this little voice that I was hearing. And I am so thankful that I put the headphones on that night. And I listened for the first time to a man that just simply talked about Jesus, death, and resurrection. And when he talked about this Jesus, God's son, who went to the cross to pay the penalty for all that we have done wrong. I got it. In the terms that he was talking, because anyone that's done any time in prison or been around street-level culture, drug culture, knows that sometimes two or three guys get caught on a crime. And sometimes the guy who's got the biggest record will plead guilty and get the other two guys off. He makes a deal. You'll read in the paper, so-and-so sentenced to five years for armed robbery, but two guys walked free that were guilty. You don't read that in the paper. Deals are made. Sacrifices are made. But what I saw... That kind of sacrifice involves the person who's guilty doing it anyway. And he's only doing it to set himself up as a hero, a big shot in the prison when he gets there, that he was solid and took the rap for his guys. And he gets dope and everything else because of it. He's solid. But he only did it because he was going down anyway. And all of a sudden I see Jesus, God's son, coming from heaven, lived a perfect, sinless life. Pilate said, as you heard from Nathan last week, I find no fault in this man. There was no sin that Jesus had committed. He's the only person born of a woman that never sinned. And yet he chose to be my sacrifice. It just it, my whole mind just started reeling. God's work was going on inside of me. I still had no idea. But all of a sudden I just something began to strike me deeply. I didn't respond to the altar call that night. He talked about a new way of life. You could be pardoned. And to an inmate, the biggest word in the dictionary is probably to be pardoned. To be forgiven to be released when you're guilty. The queen used to come over from England and would release the prisoner, or prisoners. She had the power to pardon guilty prisoners. In the States that happens. Sometimes people are pardoned that have been guilty by, by the president. And Jesus took the rap for me and if I accepted it, I'd get a pardon. And something started changing inside of me and I didn't pray right away, three or four days went by and I just thought I gotta find out if this is real I need to know I, how many, when you come under conviction it doesn't stop right? your mind is just going you're thinking about life you're thinking about death and finally I, knelt, I actually knelt down by my bed and I said God if you're real like this man said that's all I could think like this man said please come into my life and show me and then I made him a promise because I knew when I drank I could feel it those who drink it's real those who do drugs it does sedate it does numb you for a little while you, but you come under a real effect. You come under an influence, but every addict on the planet knows you've got to get it into your system to come under an influence. Nobody ever got drunk looking at a bottle of liquor on the shelf. Would you agree? You can stare at that bottle of rum all you want, and you won't come under its influence until you consume it. And that's what I had missed all my life, is that I needed Jesus on the inside. And I said, if you can be that real to me, I will follow you. And I didn't feel anything that night. I knew I meant it. I wasn't getting out of jail free this time. I was already in jail. My sentence was still seven years. I was going to finish my sentence. I wasn't going to get out by doing this. And it was the first time I could feel the sincerity in my heart. God, if you'll make yourself known to me, I will follow you. I just need to know for myself. And I waited. Nothing happened. I went to bed the same way as I did the night before. And somehow through the night, all I could say is he snuck up on me. 'Cause I went to bed one way and I woke up the next morning with, with a peace right throughout my whole being. I was still locked up, you know, three and a half months at that time in, in, in isolation. I woke up with a perfect peace in my mind, and I actually thought I was dreaming. And I remember pinching myself, this is forty one years ago. I remember pinching myself and seeing if I was awake or not. And my thoughts were this. I still remember them, clear as day. If I'm asleep, I really don't want to wake up. Because this is the best I've ever felt. And then I remembered my prayer. And I sat up in bed and I said, God, if this is really you, keep coming. Whatever you're doing, just keep on doing it. I knew it was his spirit. Somehow I just knew in my spirit that something had happened. And then I began to, I wrote my aunt Joy. She was the second person in my family to come to faith because of Dave. Joy had come to faith, a severe alcoholic. Dave had led her to Christ. She married the minister's son of the little church that Dave was going to. So this ministry family was now in, mixed with the masquery family. And what I didn't realize, they had been praying all this time for us. Many people from that church had been praying for us. No wonder I didn't have a chance to succeed in darkness. Everything was frustrated. I was a terrible criminal. I got caught for everything I did. I get get so stupid when I get drunk, drinking and pills together. It was just terrible. And I'm thankful that I got caught. I thank God for prisons. I'm thankful for police officers today. I'm thankful that there's people to call us to account when we're living in criminal activity for our lives. Anyway, as I began to sheep, Mount Joy pleaded with me to read the Gospel of John. And I'm so glad I'm here, sharing. while you're going through the Gospel of John. If you've never done this devotionally, I want to give you a, a challenge right now. Read the Gospel of John, whether you're new at the faith, whether you've been in the faith all your life. And don't read it as a book. Open the Gospel of John and just read it with prayer. God, reveal yourself to me in a way that I can know you. You need to have your own experience of him on the inside and make him a covenant like i did it changed my life many people come to christ initially and fall away the reason i didn't is i made a promise to god i didn't even know what a covenant was but the covenant was god if you'll reveal yourself to me in a way that i can know i will follow you the rest of my days and that has kept me from going back because he reminds me of that all the time not so much now but in my early days when i felt like just giving it up or you run into clashes with Christians or people living in hypocrisy. I remember getting to a place six months into my walk. I said, God, if this is Christianity, there was so much hypocrisy I was seeing from professing believers. I said, "If God, if this is what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. And you know what I heard him say in my mind? Who died for you? And I remember saying, Jesus. He said, then follow him. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Keep your eyes on him. Follow him. And that was one of the most powerful words he'd given me to keep me on track, was to follow him. But I want to share with you this passage here in in John, because it so impacted my life, and it's changed my whole direction was understanding this about Jesus' death. And in John 19, so I want to encourage you, go into a devotional reading of John, one chapter a day. Don't rush it. Don't read it like a book. Read it one chapter a day, and just say, Lord, reveal Jesus in me. I want to know him for who he really is. He'll bypass all the religion you've seen, all the ways of men, and you'll have a direct route to the Heavenly Father. Amen? A direct route comes through Jesus only. A direct route to God because Jesus paid the price for you. All the guilt, all the shame, he paid the price for you and I. Amen? And look what he says here. And I want you to see this thing about death. Um, In John... He's already been sentenced to death. He read that last week in John 19. And I'm going to start in verse 17 tonight. Pilate's already said, I find him not guilty. I find no fault. The Roman governor couldn't find a fault in Jesus. It was the religious people of his day that wanted to kill him. Religion has always wanted to stop the move of God's spirit. Even in churches, religion is our, is our worst enemy. Relationship with God And relationship with each other is what he brings us into. If I had to follow religion, I wouldn't be in this. Jesus gave his life for me and for you. Amen? And and Father, I just pray as we open these scriptures, Lord, you did breathe your life so deeply into our spirit. I pray that some may have an encounter with you through your word. That some would begin to welcome you in, Lord, maybe even for the first time. Jesus, I welcome you on the inside of my being. I want to come under your influence. I want to come under your intoxication. I want to be so filled with you that I don't think about anything else negative. Lord, I pray you speak to our hearts tonight by your word in Jesus' name. And so they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called, he went to the place called Place of the Skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him. One on the either side, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read "Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, "Change it from the King of the Jews to he said, "I am King of the Jews." Peter replied, no, or Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, "Dear woman, here is your son." And he said to this disciple, "Here is your mother." And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. The death of her, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill Scripture, he said, "I am thirsty." A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. <clears throat> and when I looked at this whole concept of, of death, you know, we often see death as a fearful thing. We know that Jesus had to go to the cross, as we study the scriptures a little more, He came with the purpose of living a life, healing people, showing them a new way, but with the purpose to to die for the sins of the world. It was a planned thing that the Father did. And when I begin to really ponder on this, the death of Jesus, Sunday we'll talk more about the resurrection, which changes everything, right? Death comes before resurrection. But when Jesus died for the sins of the world, he walked into it willingly because there was a purpose behind it. And one of the things I was, as I was praying today, I feel the Lord give me something for many of us here that are struggling with loss. You know, people may have died that you've loved. We all are going to die. Jesus died in a unique way with a purpose to rise from the dead so that we could be forgiven, we could be pardoned, and whosoever would call upon his name would, would granted, be granted a new life. But he also wanted us to be free from the guilt, And from the shame of our past. And the Lord has shown me many times over, I meet Christians who are just not free. And my heart grieves. I say, if we're a Christian, how come we're not free? You know, if we understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he died. His death was a substitute for every wrong thing you and I have ever done. Amen? Every wrong thing. And when we really get it and understand his death had to be. And so it is a celebration. Nathan mentioned earlier, we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. And when we, at first, when I was reading about the death, I said, oh, how could they do that to him? How could they beat him and do all this stuff to him? That was terrible. I was feeling you know, a bit of his pain and suffering as I was reading it, as I'm sure many of you have. That was my first concept of death. Wow, he had to go through all that death. But he did it for the glory that was set before him. There was a purpose in his death. His death was absolutely necessary for you and I to be cleansed from our sin, from our shame, and there's no other way to do it. There's nothing we can do to get rid of shame and guilt. We can stop being a wicked person, even if we could do it completely. We still can't get rid of the shame and the guilt from the past or people hating us for the things we've done. Would you agree? We can't change anything. There's nothing we can change from what we've done. Nothing. Except when we accept what he did in his death, To really accept it, we need to also forgive ourselves. And I want to encourage you tonight, don't leave here if you have not forgiven yourself as a believer. Because if we don't forgive ourselves, we're not really grasping that his death was so necessary to us being forgiven. And his joy is only fulfilled as you forgive yourself, as he has. And I went through that in the prison, six months into my walk, all my memories, I wasn't using anymore, so all my memories were coming back, people had hurt, people had put in the hospital, people had fought with and hurt very badly, stole from, kidnapped, tormented, left them with scars, I'm sure. I hated myself, I hated the man that I'd become through life. And even though I knew God had forgiven me, my mind was still, what about this and what about that? The devil would always put those thoughts, what about this, you know, what about that? You hurt this person, you betrayed this person, you almost killed this person. What do their parents think about you? And all this guilt and shame would be there. And all of a sudden, I said to another inmate one day, I said, Bob, I, said, I'm having a, I know God has forgiven me, but I'm having a hard time forgiving myself. And he looked at me, and he pointed and he said, who are you, a little man, not to forgive yourself when God Almighty sent his son to die for you? I needed to hear that. It provoked me at the moment. Here I am, an inmate in the maximum security. This guy's called me a little man. You know, okay, that's how I responded right away. Who's this guy I think he's talking to, you know? But, that, but I knew he loved me. And when he pointed at me, I never, he never talked like that to me before or after. But he said, who are you, oh little man, not to forgive yourself when God Almighty sent his son to die that bloody death for you? And man, as I walked away, for the first time in my life, I saw myself as a little piece of dust looking up at a big creator that already took care of the issue of my sin. And I wasn't fully accepting it. I wasn't fully accepting what he did unless I could forgive myself. And so I went back to my cell this night and I encourage you to do this if you've never done it. I went back to my room that night. I looked myself in the mirror and I made a decision. And I said, Cal, I forgive you from this day forward. It's over. No, I no, I said, I forgive you as Jesus has. Remember saying that? I forgive you as Jesus has. And I went like this. It's over. And something left me. Something lifted off me. And I didn't know how much until the next day I'm out in the prison yard. And I was standing there by myself, grinning from ear to ear. I had the joy. That I was the most joyous I'd ever been. And people were even staring at me. Walked by and staring at me. I was just so happy. I couldn't get this grin off my face. And I, even the first six months, I was happy to be in Christ. But I was not a joyous Christian. I still had a lot of guilt issues on me that I didn't understand was paid for. And all of a sudden, I said, God, what is this? And he says, the moment you forgave yourself, you released yourself from the guilt and the shame. And I learned that in forgiving myself, his joy was released in my life, even though my circumstances hadn't changed. I still had to face a violent crowd every day. But I was different. The guards would see it. The inmates would see it. You know, I go for parole, and they want me to go for psychiatric assessment because they're only looking at all my records, right? If they could ask the guards, they'd told them I'd change. The guards would come right to myself, Cal, what's going on with you? And I'd tell them, well, I found Jesus. The guys were giving me dope for free now that I was locked up for four months. Hey, Cal, here, I'll fix you up. You've been gone for four months, you know. Man, no, man, I gave that up. What do you mean you gave that up? I said, I don't know if you'll understand this, but I said, three weeks ago, I invited Jesus Christ into my life, and I've been high for three weeks. <laughs> and this guy looks at me and goes, what, The natural high? I said, yeah, that's all I can tell you is that I feel good. I'm not hugging toilets in the morning, fuking my guts out, talking about what a great time I had last night. Anybody ever been there? You know, talking about what a great time we had last night, but you're sick this morning. Give me another couple to straighten out. You know, I wasn't like that. I was, I was joyous. I was peaceful, and I couldn't get over how joyous I really felt because of what Jesus had done. I finally had accepted it. But that guy had to challenge me. You know, and I want to encourage you, go back to your room tonight. Look yourself in the mirror. And see if you can't declare that over yourself if you're in Christ. I forgive you. Speak it right out loud so your ears have to hear the decision you're making. Look yourself in the eyes. I forgive you as Jesus has and it's over. It's gone. You don't have to carry guilt and shame. Amen? But what I really felt, and if you're not in Christ, don't miss what he has for you. Guys, this is not about religion. There's religions all over the planet. How do we know Christianity is the right one? when someone tells me they're of another religion I don't argue with them I just ask them this and you can too So who's your leader what do you mean well who started your religion well this one or that one where is he now let them answer what do you mean well where is he right now well he's dead and then I ask them is he still dead yeah he's still dead I said, let me tell you why I follow Jesus he died like your leader did 2,000 years ago he died like every other man on the planet But on the third day, he rose from the dead and conquered death. And I've seen people, I'm not kidding you, eyes widen. Like that one gets everybody. Because their leaders aren't alive. They're still dead. As well-meaning as they've been, they're still dead. Agreed? Jesus died also. But he rose from the dead. I'm getting ahead of Sunday's message. He rose from the dead. (laughs) I'm going to slow down there a little bit. Okay, he rose from the dead. So if you're not in Christ, when you invite Jesus Christ to come in, if you really mean it, You won't have any questions that he's alive once he comes in. If you were to stick your hand in that light socket over there, if you took the cover off and stuck your hand in that little bit of power, you think some things would change in your body? (laughs) Right? Anybody ever done that? (laughs) Right? Things change instantly. That's just a little bit of power. But the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that was a lot of power. And when that kind of power comes into a human heart, you come alive. You're not going to be worried about what your friends think about you anymore. You only worry about what your friends think of you before you come to Christ, like Peter did. He denied Jesus three times. 40 or 50 days later, whatever Pentecost was, he gets up in front of everybody and tells them, you crucified Jesus. You need to repent. You need to come. He was a different man after he was filled with the power of God. Amen? It changes a human being. Jesus on the inside changes. Religion changes nothing. It only looks nice on the outside. Jesus comes inside. He become born again. And I want to encourage you, there's four baptisms this Sunday. I think there should be more. And here's what I want to say to you who are listening. If you were baptized as a baby, people meant well. But it's not believer's baptism. Believer's baptism is when you make a decision to accept Christ for your own personal choice. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you're baptized to identify with the death and resurrection of Christ. When you go into the water, it's a watery grave. And life disappears as you know it. Would you agree? You're also out of your own power. Because Nathan could either bring you back up or not. Right? I always tell people when they're being baptized, if you're going to live for Jesus, tell me now. I'll bring you back up. If you're not sure, we'll send you home today while things are good. (laughs) One guy approached me, do you really do that? I said, no, no, I don't. No, I don't. But I want to encourage if you've been believing on Jesus, you made your own personal choice, see Nathan. Baptism gives you a tool against the devil like nothing else. Because you're identifying with putting your old self to death. How many of you would like to put your old self to death? You come up out of the water, and you're resurrected to a new life. You have a tool against the devil. Anytime he says to you, what about this, and what about what you did here? You can now say, I died for that. I died. I've been resurrected to new life in Christ. I'm a new creation. And that's to me what baptism meant. I couldn't wait to be baptized. I had to wait three years. I didn't get out for three years after I became a Christian. And I just got a pass just prior to getting out, finally near the end of my sentence. I was about four and a half years in on that one. I got a pass that last summer, and I was so thankful to be baptized. You're out here. If you've been believing, your next step is baptism. It'll release a boldness into your life that you didn't previously have, and a tool directly against the devil, that you obeyed the Lord publicly. You die. You rise up new. And that's the incredible message. But what I I want to ask you today, I just felt as I was praying here earlier, that wasn't going to be part of my message, but as I was praying, I just really felt, just like the soldiers at the cross, they were dividing Jesus' garments. They were looking for what they could get from him physically. People that he fed wanted to be fed physically. And they totally missed why Jesus came. Right? Is there that scripture in John 12? Can we bring that up? He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil, it remains alone, and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. He taught us before he died and rose, that a grain of wheat has to fall into the ground and die. Its purpose is to experience death. But in that death comes up a harvest. Every farmer knows that. God is the master farmer on the planet. He knows that you and I were born to die. We need to be comfortable with death. The soldiers were wanting to get what they could get, like many of us. Many people in religion are trying to get something out of it. But if you give your life to Christ, you get to die now to all you've ever been. You get to choose your death. And if you die to the sinful man or the sinful woman, that you were out of it comes new birth it's going to change your families it's going to change your workplace it's going to change your mentality those of you that have been diagnosed with mental, mental illness God restores your mind I had a very distorted mind when I came to Christ at 22, you wouldn't have even wanted to watch TV with me, I could not hold the storyline why did they do that? what happened there? why should you say that? And people say, are you watching? Well, I'm watching like you are, but I couldn't retain anything. And we relate to that? Drugs will take your mind. But Jesus, his word, restores your mind. God's word restored my mind. God's word brought back everything I need to, need to have when I need it. I asked him to let me forget a lot of things. I don't want to remember everything. The Lord, his spirit brings to your mind what you need when you need it. And what I felt as I was praying here today... Don't miss what Jesus, when he came to Jerusalem, and he wept over Jerusalem in Luke. Is there a passage there in Luke? And this scripture was coming to my mind here this afternoon. Jesus, as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Imagine him weeping. Why was he weeping? How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. There's millions of people that have lived but have never really seen what God had for them. There's many people in the religious community that grew up in church but didn't go on with the faith journey. Died going to church week after week, maybe being a better person. But it's not about the external. It's about an internal life change where everything changes. Like I said, if you stuck your hand in that light socket, everything would change instantly. Your whole being would go into reaction. You get plugged into Jesus and let his Holy Spirit fill you He'll change everything, and you will like the person you're becoming. You will absolutely like the person that you're becoming. Do you know that in uh, when God called Abraham? Can you we bring up uh, Genesis 11 near the end? And this is the account. This really struck me. I didn't know this for years because How many of you remember the story of Abraham, where God called him to leave everything, and he became the father of nations? Right. We know that story because we hear it all over. But what we what I didn't know was that Abraham's father was called first, but he didn't finish the journey. I'm like, what? This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans to the, and headed for the land of Canaan. But they stopped at Haran... And settled there Tara lived 205 years And died while still in Haran And I was so struck That, that Tara's son Was Haran But Haran died early and the, and the father turned off Into the city of Haran And died there And never reached Canaan But it clearly says He was on the way to Canaan And I thought how many People started off in their faith, going into the promised land, becoming a Christian, and got sidetracked by death. Or maybe you lost somebody. Maybe you have lost a child. Maybe you have lost a parent. Maybe a relationship broke up. Terah died in the place of his grief. He lost his son. And apparently he never got over it because he died there in Haran. And it's interesting, that city, spiritually, was called the same name as his son. And as I was praying here today, I just wanted to ask you, are you living with incredible loss? And it's, it's holding you back. Maybe you're, a marriage broke down. You don't get to see your kids every day. A parent has gone on. We can stop living in that place. And the enemy wants to take you into depression. He wants to take you into feeling defeated. Do you know that depression comes out of the feeling of hopelessness, a failure? just can't move on and I believe with all my heart that God wants to set some free tonight from grief grief is a good thing but we're supposed to release people back to God we need to release I had a loss, I lost my father as a child my mother, grew up without them all my years and you know after I came to faith I heard the Lord say in my spirit write your father I did not want to write my father My father was a violent criminal. This would be me saying, it's over. And I knew it. I didn't have the courage to write him at that point. And every day, I'd read in the Bible, write your father, write your father, write your father. I don't want to write my father. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You should just, some of your friends you should be telling, or people that let them see the change in you. God wanted me to tell my father. And he was in a prison 900 miles away. And finally, after 10 days or so, I I, I said, got my pen and paper, I said, dad, I want you to know I've given my life to Christ. Jesus Christ, I said in the letter, I've given my life to Jesus Christ and I'm going to live with him forever and follow him. I didn't know what else to say, so I sent it. No response for two and a half months. And I began to pray, God, whatever it takes, once I shared it, it, it loosed something. And now I'm writing him, Dad, just, just check it out. I said, remember when, he, he was a criminal, right? So I said, Dad, remember when you go to court and you go into the courtroom? And I said, the judge is like God. He's a judge. I said, the crown attorney, he's there to put it on you. He's like the devil, right? This guy did this and did that, and we want the maximum sentence for him. I said, then there's this lawyer that goes in and stands beside you, and he pleads guilty on your behalf and says, Your Honor, this client is guilty, but I'm going to take his penalty. I'm going to do his time. He got the picture. Most criminals would. They get the picture because they face judges. They face crown attorneys who are there to point out everything they've done wrong. They face the lawyer who's trying to get them off. Only this lawyer doesn't get you off. because I hate when I see someone get off that's guilty. I don't know if you guys feel that way or not, but when lawyers negotiate and get someone off that's guilty, that's not justice. This lawyer says, yes, he's guilty, but I'll do his time. I'm going to take the rap. That's what he did. My dad writes me two and a half months later, Cal, the change I've seen in you through your letters, I've given my heart to Christ. I was so blown away by that, I actually thought it wasn't real. I thought, maybe he thinks I'm giving him a tip on how to get out of jail early. Say you're a Christian, go to the chapel. I just couldn't picture him. I just thought, he's, he's, he's working the system here. He thinks I am, and that he thinks I'm giving him a tip. And then he writes me back and tells me, when he, when he said, Cal, the joy of the Holy Spirit, when he said the words Holy Spirit, my mind went back to all the years of drinking and partying and clubbing. I never heard about a Holy Spirit out there. We all curse the name of Jesus freely in drinking the drunkenness. Jesus this, Jesus that. We all curse the name of God. But nobody in that dark world talked good or bad about the Holy Spirit. And you guys know it. You guys, some of you have been in darkness too. And when he said the Holy Spirit, my whole being, just like a, a cork on a wine bottle, <clears throat> something released in me. And I said, my dad knows the Lord. And it did something to me. And I went out to some of the toughest criminals. My dad just gave his life to Christ and you need to come to him too. I got so radical for a little while. People would cross the prison yard when they saw me coming. Oh, here comes that nut, you know. And then finally the Lord told me, settle down, Cal. You know, you, you wouldn't have appreciated that two months ago. Just slow down. There's a better way, you know. Stay in the word. Stay in fellowship. And he taught me. How, he began to teach me how to evangelize and reach out. People want hope. They don't want to be preached at and just, you know, we, we, we've aired that way as a church. If you've done that, repent of that. Go tell your family you love them. Tell them Jesus loves them too. And you hope to see them in heaven one day. Just plant seeds of hope, but don't be pressuring on people. So when I saw this with Tara, as I was walking here today, I felt the Lord speaking to me about some of you that are still carrying incredible grief. And it's really keeping you from moving on. Some of you know the Lord, and something has happened. But why would God allow that to happen? Why did God allow Jesus to take that bloody death? There was a purpose behind it. Trust him. If you lost a child, what I felt them tell me to tell you tonight is release that child's memory to God. Release that child to the Lord. Thank God for every day you had. And as a believer, you'll see them again. As a believer, we have hope beyond death. That's what he came to bring. Hope beyond death. Maybe you have a marriage that you put your whole heart into it and you were betrayed. He feels your grief. But don't let it keep you stuck. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Death is going to happen to us all. Don't let death, a broken relationship, a betrayal. Jesus was betrayed by one of his ministry team, one of his disciples. He allowed him there so we'd understand that he knows what it feels like to be betrayed. Pray for that person. The person that betrayed you, they're living in misery. Don't you live in misery too? Don't live in misery because you're letting someone else's betrayal of who you are cripple you for the rest of your life. Don't die in that place like Terah did. He died in the place of his grief because he didn't understand loss. You know that out of God taken Haran, Terah was on his way to the promised land and he didn't go because of his grief. He died in the place of his grief, the loss of his son. Never made it to Canaan. He could have been where Abraham was. Abraham took Haran's son, Lot, after Haran died, and took him on the journey. He became part of that new family. And at the foot of the cross, if we can just bring this last scripture up, at the foot of the cross in uh, John 19, at the very end of that passage, I think it was around 27 or so, when Jesus was uh, at, on the cross, and here's one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen. I lost my family as a young man, but God gave me my father back. At the age of 40, he got out, and we went for a walk. And he was an on-fire Christian. My dad was changed overnight. Let me tell you, he went from darkness to light. He became Moncton's teddy bear. Everybody loved my dad. They hug him, he be there serving coffee, to inmates coming out of prison, they just loved him. He knew what they felt. And he said, Cal, while well, you're traveling, I got you. He said, I'm serving coffee and helping the inmates coming out. Because God adopts us into each other's hearts. And a little further down, it's the part where He's on the cross, and John and Mary are there, right down, a little further down. Oh, well, just a little further back. That's okay. That's right. A little further back from where you were, where it was. Yes, there it was. Okay, standing near the cross, you got to picture this. If you've had loss, if you've grown up without your parents, many families today grow up without a father or a mother. Some have been raised like I did by my grandparents. As as dysfunctional as that was, I'm glad it kept me in my family, because I saw my dad come to Christ later on. 25 years later, I saw my mom come to Christ at the age of 40. God just did an incredible thing in my family. And he says, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, this is your son. I just love this. He said, this is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. He knew this mother was about to experience the loss of her son. And in his death, he cared about this new community that he was developing. He adopted this disciple into the heart of Mary in his absence. He adopted that mother into the heart of that disciple who was going to miss his close fellowship with his Lord. The love of God to see us in families so that we lose nothing. When we choose to give up what we've lost, we begin to enter into a whole new community. And this, to me, is what the church really is. The church is brotherhood. It's loving one another, caring for one another. And nobody has to do this alone. Nobody. In fact, one day I was thinking, you know, I thought, God's got like 7 billion people on the planet. And all of a sudden, like the light goes on. He loves people. And they don't have to do this alone. In all the seven billion people out there, there must be a few that you can get along with. Would you agree? There must be a few out there. But you know what the devil did to keep you from enjoying that? Some women hurt you, men. He said, no woman's ever going to hurt me again. You cut yourself off. Women, you've been hurt by some men. And some of you made a curse and said, no man's ever going to hurt me again. And the devil gets us all in retreat. But Jesus wants to bring us together in him to a spiritually maturing family. Amen? He loves you. He gets you. Everything you can go through, he's gone through. And he gave up his life willingly. And he wants us to be comfortable with death. Every one of us are going to die. And we can go into it joyfully. I look forward to it now. 41 years later... I miss my family. I'm, I'm glad I'm here to see all my family come to Christ. The Lord gave me this word, and I'll give this to you. When I was praying for my family, I heard again the Lord speak to me. Cal, if you will give yourself to be an answer for the prayers of others, for their loved ones, I will bring your family in. And I almost stopped praying pretty much for my family after that. I just started thanking God for their salvation. And I just got busy serving him. And I have seen all my family coming into Christ. My father, 25 years later, my mother found me on the internet when I was 40. Hadn't seen her for 25 years. Went down, shared my life with her. Two months later, she comes to Christ. It was incredible. God is just restoring, but it doesn't happen overnight. His time is so different than mine and yours. His time frame is different. And so what I'd like to do is just, can we all stand together? I want to do an activation that I believe is going to help many of us here tonight. The devil wanted to keep some of you from entering into your promised land. There is a promised land of joy and peace and overflowing relationships for those who walk by faith. It's a faith walk from beginning to end. Amen? And God wants to move some of us past that. I know some of you is identified with that place of grief tonight. And if you're in that place of grief, I want you just to be able to lift that person by faith. You're going to do it by faith. And you're going you're to destroy the work of the enemy that's been trying to keep you in a spiritual prison. He's been trying to keep you there in grief. Don't be like Tara, who died in the place of his son's grief. Grief. If anybody's been taken early, God has a plan. We don't understand it, we really don't. I have three uncles that are dead of drug overdoses. That's why I do what I do today, going out into the darkness and going into places of addiction, going back into prisons, right down into street culture and sharing Jesus, because I want to see people come to life. I hate the darkness. I hate the drug culture. I hate what it does to people. I hate the liquor business that keeps people intoxicated and sedated and destroying families and lives. I hate the lies of the devil, that he lies over God's children to keep us from freedom. But I do know this. God's power is in his word. God's power is in his word. So let's just all close our eyes just for a minute just want you to get comfortable let's just close our eyes for a minute and Father I just pray Lord as we just close our eyes before you Lord you just speak to us right now some of us you've already spoken to Lord if anyone is in that place of grief because of because of the loss the death of a relationship the death of a child a brother a sister that we miss terribly the death of a marriage where the covenants were made to to love each other unto death uncles, aunts, parents have gone home some of our friends have died in the drug culture Lord I just pray you just minister by your spirit right now right now and Father I just pray bring us to a place of honesty before you that you see our grief you see where we've been stuck And Lord, you have the power to free us as we learn to walk by faith and trust in you. <clears> to <throat> so really put our trust in you. The Lord's identifying anything inside of you. I just to ponder that for a moment and then we're going to just release that person to the Lord. And it'll do something for your spirit. But in the meantime, I want us just to, to pray this together. And if anyone here that's not in Christ, this is your chance to pray and invite Him to come in. If you've been away from the Lord, this is your chance to recommit to Him. If you've just been part of churches but never experienced that that power that raised Jesus from the dead to live inside of you, this is your your chance to do that. So let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the death of Jesus Christ. That He did it for me. Because You love me. You've got a plan for my life. And I make a decision right here and now to receive Jesus Christ into my life as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of all sin. I'm truly sorry. I repent of it tonight. And I welcome your Holy Spirit come and begin to fill my life. I renounce Satan and every demonic spirit. I want nothing to do with them. Get out. In Jesus' name, I surrender my will to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And for those of you that identify with any area of grief, I want you to take a, take a moment. And when you're ready, I want you to hold your hands out in front of you with that person that you have been grieving over, that incredible loss. Just between you and you and God, you and your father, he sees you. He sees you. And he knows you. And he knows of the loss. Some of you it's a broken marriage. It grieves you terribly. Some of you lost the loss of a child. Some of you have lost people to the drug culture, to murder. Some of you just lost someone that's been close to you. Just take that person in your hands, just by faith, and way to say this with me, Heavenly Father. I choose to release this person to you. And in your own spirit, just name who it is, my son, my daughter, a broken marriage. Lord, I let it go to you today. And Father, you see what we're releasing right now. <clears throat> Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you just come in and begin to fill that area with hope. With hope, Lord. There's new relationships to enter into. As Jesus connected his mother, to a disciple in his passing. You bring new relationships into our life to fill up those empty places. And I believe some of you are going to go on to experience some incredible relationships in the days to come. A new ability to see people who you can begin to be vulnerable with. They can be vulnerable with you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Just before we, we sing our last couple of songs, and then maybe there, if anybody would like to be prayed for tonight, what I'd like you to do if somebody identified releasing somebody, maybe after or during the the songs if a couple of your leadership team could be up here, and just come and identify. You know, I chose to release today. Just say it to somebody. Does something when your ears hear what you're saying in your spirit. And if you have the courage to do that, I tell you, it's going to change some things for you. You're going to feel different. Just voice it out to one of the team, I chose to release my mom or I chose to let go of a broken marriage. But before we sing those last two songs, I wonder if we could just do an activation here. I want you just to turn to a few people around you. Maybe just tell someone, I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you're family. I welcome you into my life. Something, whatever comes to your mind, just greet some people and speak life. Speak life. Glad your family. we are oh good morning okay yeah so we're gonna close with a couple songs and uh if anybody does want to come up to uh just to say out loud kind of maybe what the lord's done or if you've released somebody there's a couple of us that are on the team that'll be up here Um, but just enjoy these last couple songs and uh just worship with all your heart and you're all welcome back next or not next it's not i'm used to sunday right This coming Sunday, two days uh, from now, so uh, enjoy uh, this weekend, Uh, but again, if you want to come up during these last couple songs and and just say something to one of the team members, uh, we'll be up here for that.